Hello, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Ariel Frame. And my name's Roger Hudson. Today we're here with Ellen Moffat, a third-year PhD student in the Visual Arts Department here at Western. It's, it's not just Visual Arts, is it, Ellen? No, no, Visual Arts is uh, divided into three areas. One is... Uh, Art history, one is studio, and the other is curatorial. My area is in studio. The studio portion of that. That's correct. Very interesting. So we have a, a, a few different, uh, I guess, models to go over that pertains to your research. Uh, do you want to maybe just give us a little uh, head start on that? you want a little lead us into it a little bit? What my research is? Well, I have come to um, a PhD after about 20 years as a practicing artist. What my practice is, is uh, sound installation. Um, to define that in fairly general terms, I come out of sculpture. And so with a, a background in sculpture, uh, my, my major concerns are in the body, materials, and space. But what I'm doing in sound installation is I'm bringing sound in as a whole other element. So there's still a very um, direct connection with materials and and materials that are unusual. Sometimes they're very ordinary, like a piece of paper, uh, or they might be stones or catalpa beans, you know, from the <laughs> trees that are yeah, the trees that are on campus. And then I do a lot of work that that I consider experiments with sound, through using technology, actions, um, different kinds of speaker systems to see what can be done with a fairly limited but growing group of, of um, objects and materials. So I'm, gu- I'm guessing you mostly use that physical medium t- in order to create these sounds and, and this art. That's correct. And you say it comes from a background of, of or inspired in part by, by sculpture. Well, I, my first studies in visual art were in sculpture. And sculpture is very much rooted in materials, you know, whether it's Absolutely. wood or clay. But beyond that, it's also a consideration of space. So how a material is in space, how large it is, how much space it occupies. And it's also about a relationship with the body. And the body could be the person who's making the work or the viewer. So I'm taking some of those considerations a few steps further. And sort of as a progression, the first one would be from the object into what's called installation, which is using a space to expand into that space, to work with it, sometimes in very specific ways and other times in really general ways. So the, um, the material will be relating to the space that it is contained within or that is holding it. And that might be a gallery or it might be um, a public location. It all depends on the situation. Does, does that mean that um, if you want to present, um, you want to do a show in a gallery, you have to go to the gallery, find the space they're going to give you, and then tailor it to that space because you, cause it, as you said, the space that the show is going to be in matters. Or, or um, you plan it out, and then when you get there, you build the space around it. <laughs> well, generally, I, I will know what space I'm going to be working in, and then I'll, I'll work through the plan for the work that I'm doing because of that space. So what, what, you know, very practically, sometimes I will build a maquette, you know, a very small model of the space, okay. and then make, you know, mini um, items that I will sit within that space to understand how they will fit or 
um, occupy the space that the sh- that my work is going to be within. But it, but it depends on the circumstance. That's so cool. Like in the movies when they're like planning a heist and they build their little model and there's miniature versions of everyone. You have those for like all your shows. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> So is it possible to morph the space that you're given in order to create, I guess, the atmosphere that you want or need for the particular art that you're trying to present? Well, the easiest way to morph space uh, would be with lighting. Okay. So, so at, at first, I will, you know, I will work with what I'm doing, and then the way lighting um, is handled in relationship to the work will either make it more theatrical, you know, with, with pointed lights or with shadows, or the opposite which is to work with a very flat light. And a flat light will then say it's not about the theatricality, it's about what the elements are themselves. So it's sort of understated rather than overstated. Interesting, okay. And then how do how do you bring, I'm, I'm thinking sound would probably uh, be the, the, the first or, or the most, I guess, present aspect of expanding the space from the object that you're working with. And is that potentially how you got into working with sound as an expansion of this or how did that come along i that's that's a it's a more difficult question to answer clearly and directly but i probably but i think how i'll answer it is to say one of the early works i did was um, in what's called multi-channel sound and so that's numerous outputs of sound Um, one of them was 24 outputs of sound and what I used as my source sounds were the phonemes, which are like the molecular units of spoken language. So it's the p- t- k- k- sounds of language. Sure, mm-hmm. okay. And I had these phonemes output to, to intentionally different locations in the room. Mm. So the room almost sounded like it was the whole voice expanded, you know, as it was chattering around from different locations. What I call that is spatialized sound. You know, so it's the con- it's it's outputting sound to different nodes, um, and then having it come together in its own rhythms to create this kind of a collective or a social environment of sound. Wow! And is there a way to do that? Uh, I'm assuming this is done electronically, but is there a way to potentially uh, do this mechanically in a makeshift kind of way to have all 24 outputs coming from? some kind of continuous movement or like a single person almost outputting each of these? Well, I do work with a computer, uh, you know, and I, I, I have the computer, different interfaces between the the computer and what the final output of sound is, okay. you know, so they're different um, electronic devices, things ca- called sound cards. I work with different kinds of speakers. Okay. And then the material is um, often functioning like a speaker as well. So it amplifies a signal that's driven through it. Um, if it was all done, there's a, there's a way of sort of reversing that process. So it, it partly comes from the point of origin of the computer, but other times the computer is, it functions, but it's a little bit more passive. And that's a different kind of microphone that I would be using, or a different kind of transducer. So when you would walk into a space, everything would be quiet. By touching or creating an action on the surface of the material, then sound would be created. So that's a little bit closer to what you're saying about the acoustic. But still, it's working with with amplification and with digital technology to, to 
uh, hear the sound. Sure. You know, it sounds a lot like you like you you need a lot of technical knowledge of of sound equipment <laughs> for this work. Um, did you come into the PhD program with that knowledge of technical technical knowledge of sound equipment, or did you kind of accrue that in the course of the program? Oh, I came into it with with, with um, into the program with that knowledge. But as I say, I've been working for for more than twenty years as um, as a sound artist. Mm. But I had to learn a lot of this, and I learned project by project. Yeah. I would work with different, sometimes an audio engineer, another time a mechanical engineer. I've worked with dancers. Um, currently, I'm working with a person who's a vocalist, a singer. Uh, so it. It, it's, um, it's an ongoing learning and process of, of saying, how, how can I reach a solution for the situation I'm in right now? Wow. You know, um, this is, uh, Roger and I, we, we do similar sort of work. Uh, we work with animals and we work with molecular tools and we sit at a bench and we put on gloves and a mask and, and a, a lab coat. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> sometimes we wear a lab coat. Um, and our day-to-day is sometimes, you know, at a bench. Uh, moving uh, very small amounts of liquid from one tube to another tube, uh, a lot. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of kind of interested, you know, if you're doing a lot of this on. You said you have to do a lot of this on the computer, but then you have to um, interact with a whole bunch of different people to get the equipment. And then if you build this, if you're making the show out of like uh, different material, you have to build it. Um, so uh, could you maybe uh, walk us through? maybe there isn't an average, but what kind of a day in the life of a PhD student in the program that you're in kind of feels like? What what kind of, what would you do on a day-to-day? Ah, okay. Well, that's an interesting question. Although I would also just back up first with two things. One is to say, as a PhD student, I also need to do a lot of studying and research oh, yes, yeah. and writing. Mm-hmm. So That's where we're similar. <laughs> that's that's where we're very similar. So, so in that... Um, uh, but but I also have just come from a month in Saskatchewan, in Saskatoon, where I had an artist-in-residency project with a vocalist. And we wow. had a full three weeks um, to work on a project that we're going to be performing in October in Saskatoon. Okay. So with that, predominantly, our time was spent doing um, creative research, which means being in the, in the muckiness of creativity, which I really, really like. Uh, so that's one point I'll make before answering. But another one is that what you have just described, Ariel, as, as what you do every day, there's in, in my area of, of doing studio work, there's a lot of research and a lot of testing and trying and um, finding something works or doesn't work and then trying to do different combinations of basically a, a, either the same action or a different action to see whether that produces results that are more in line with what I'm looking for. But, but I don't, but it's a, pro, it's a process. It's mm. not kind of a, a, an accomplishment that's, that's known in advance about where I'm going to go just to say it's like a recipe. Oh, right, yeah. It's like methodology that you're following that, that you set out as a layout at the outset, but then you have to tweak the methodology as you go forward as different results come in in order to... Uh, achieve the final result that you're looking for that is presentable for for your standards or for whatever audience you're presenting it to exactly exactly yeah and and where so so that's that's another similarity between all the methodology it's a yep very very interesting well i think there are lots of similarities and then some of it is is what happens within a university environment 
you know, that, that I mean, research is part of a university program, mm-hmm. and methodology is part of research, sure. and definitely at, at levels of the PhD. I mean, that becomes a different frame you need to work within. And I think it's, I mean, I, I find it really rich for doing studio work. Because it's not, I mean, there's a bit of a tension because it's sort of one or the other. I find that in general I'm either starting to do more research and writing as a, in a block of time or I do studio work in a block of time. Mm-hmm. But I don't generally divide my day into two sections that, that I move from one to the other. It's more like I have a mindset or a head frame, you know, a frame of my mind that allows me to work in one mode over the other mode. So it comes in waves in a sense where at one period of time or one block of time, you're more into the studio art portion of it and the other portion is more research and literature reviews and things like this. I think so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've often felt like I, I, if I want to do a certain chunk of reading and I know I've got like 10 articles to read or something, I need to be in the zone. Like, and if I'm, I can't just be like, I'm going to do 20 minutes and then I'll go do something else. Like that 20 minutes is going to be wasted unless I have hours to like, really get in the zone and do it. So I hear you when you're like, you've got a block and you do it in a block and then you've done that and you do something else, you do that in a block. Uh, but especially having so many things on the go like you do, I mean, you have your outside uh, art exhibitions that you go, that, that, that you run as well as the, the research here at Western. Um, it, there must be a lot of overlap between you having to transition between the two almost seamlessly in order to be productive on the day-to-day with so many demands coming in from both sides of the coin. I, I think there are demands and challenges, but I, but I think, too, it might be about how you start to understand what you're doing, you know, how you, you step back from it a little bit, you know, so rather than being right in the belly of it, you know, of saying, like, reading an article, I have to know exactly what I'm reading, you, s- you can start to read it in a more general way, you know, s- through, through some deeper understanding of what it is. And then I think you can also step back and say, okay, well, how does that relate to an artistic practice, like to studio work? So there's something, you know, it's it's partly of the mind, mm-hmm. you know, of saying, how can I work this through? How can I schematize it or structure it or sure. understand it? But it but it's a, it's a different level of understanding, if you know what I mean. You know, it, do, it doesn't feel so, so specific as saying, I'm starting the clock right now and I'm going to go in and I'm going to plug the computer in and bring out the speaker and put the material on top of it. And then I know that I've accomplished my two hours in the studio. It's more about saying, well, I think I'm going to jot down a note in my book. And, and when I'm ready to go back to the studio or when I have time to go back to the studio, I can understand what the next level of my research is which in a way is similar to me in writing an essay. I don't know exactly where I'm going in writing an essay, but I'll, I'll jot an idea down mm-hmm. here and there. Or in some other part of the day, I'll suddenly find myself thinking about that essay and then having a, a minor breakthrough, you know, mm-hmm. or a minor eureka of going, oh, now I understand what it is, you know, how to bring these two ideas together. So for me, the two are actually fairly parallel, or increasingly I'm seeing the similarities between them, mm-hmm. uh, the creativity within writing, and, and, the, and, and the analysis within studio. It seems that way just when, I guess, going over different pieces of literature, you can't take it all in at once. You almost need to segment it or partition it. And and like you said, when you look at the bigger theme after reading a a big clunk of it, or even after reading a a big portion, you can say, well, what are the bigger picture items or the the themes that connect more to what I'm looking at on the day-to-day with my research? 
and it, it's a matter of taking a little bit and then putting a little bit back and then seeing where that goes and if it doesn't work troubleshooting and moving in a different direction with something with a different theme or with a different item and it's constant I think that's the main theme of graduate school I at least within the neuroscience and I'd love to hear your perspective as well Ellen but the troubleshooting aspect of it constant two steps forward and one step back it mm-hmm. seems yeah no no I think there is but so, an, another th- this is uh, something that's connected a little bit to my research right now but I think it would relate with with you as well and it's the notion of collaboration and it's collaboration with so many things like right now I, I will say I'm collaborating with materials I'm, I'm not determining where the materials are going to go or how the materials are going to make sound mm. I'm working with them to try and find what the results are and I think the same is true with reading or with developing, um, you know, an argumentation for um, a defense. Uh, and I think with you in neuroscience, you can't be forcing a direction. You know, you can't be saying, well, here's theory. I'm going to sure. make the theory fit the, the experiment. You're working with a theoretical position to see how it works some of the, the, the lab work to understand whether or not it works. Mm-hmm. And and that's where I would say well that's where you know that that to me is part of an artistic process as well as working with which is what I'm calling collaboration. Well, you you know you you mentioned there actually the the defense like you would do in a defense and uh, um you know you're actually I think our first guest on the show that's from the visual arts department. That's which great. I, I'm really pleased to have you on. Um and tell us about it. So one thing that differs where I think a good majority of our guests have been from science fields and yeah. they frequently have a similar structure with the defense. Um, uh, sometimes we, uh, sometimes they're slightly different, but there's usually a, the defense and the, um, the comprehensive exam in the middle of the PhD. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about how you're evaluated in the visual arts studio program you're in? Sure. Um, the part of the requirements are um, for coursework, uh, which which generally happens in the first uh, two years, and at the end of coursework there are what's called minor uh, comprehensives, which is additional reading with a written examination uh, that sort of as a way of evaluating or assessing how, how well you've performed at the academic level or in terms of the ideas. For, pe- for students who are in the studio program, there also is a studio critique uh, based on the work that you have done in the first year and a half. Uh, so, so that sort of encompasses the first uh, year and a half of the program, and then some of the preparation starts to move towards development of a prospectus, which is the, um, I call it the architecture for the dissertation. Involved in that, there's a literature review, a uh, theoretical frame, a methodological frame, uh, timelines, chapter breaks downs. So, so, and and then that gets presented to a committee uh, in the sec in the th- the beginning of the third year, as the direction that you are taking for your dissertation, and and at that point, there's um, sort of an open forum for for questions and and for questions and answers about the direction that you're going within the work. So that would probably be fairly similar to what you go through. Yeah, I mean I think I see a lot of a lot of a lot of that is analogous to what we do, you know. I think uh, there's some some ways in which it differs, but like if you have that you're being like uh, assessed uh, heavily in the middle and then again at the end to like make sure that everything that you did throughout the course of the program 
was successful. <laughs> so you, you had uh, various different assessments in the middle as, that, that differ from ours, but um, in the I end, think, I think that is that is the way it goes. Yeah, right? I think for the most part, you know, like you said, uh, the coursework at the beginning, and then roughly halfway through, you need to be, uh, I guess, prove to your uh, examination committee that you've uh, got a good layout or a good structure about halfway through. And if things aren't on track, then you really need to get thing get your act together in order to, you know, make things happen in time for graduation. Uh, and, and I think it's just, just the potentially the same way. Is and there's little. Uh, uh, check check boxes or check marks where throughout the course of the the program where you're uh, checked for your progress and for your structure of the of the degree. Mm-hmm. No, I, I yeah. think they seem parallel. Um, for um, for myself in being in studio, there also is an expectation of doing exhibitions. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, so so within the four year period, um, the requ- the requirement or the stipulation is what's called two minor exhibitions and one major exhibition. Okay. Um, You're no stranger to that. No, I'm not. No, so so it's not, um, uh, you know, it's not um, an issue or a problem for me. So, and I also just simply look forward to being able to do more work. You sure. Know, that it's another opportunity <laughs> to to keep you know ideas in development and to try to realize what the ideas are. Uh, but the co- the consequences or the po- the positive consequences of being in the studio stream is because of having the exhibition expectation, the dissertation is about half the length that it is for students who are in art history. Mm. I guess because yeah, you're, you're making up for it by doing work that That's you need correct. to do for the exhibitions and the studio work that you're doing. That's right. That accounts for the, <laughs> the other half. You don't need so much of that written at the end. Whereas with the art history, it's not possible to do these things simultaneously with the, with the degree programs? or Well, no, all I mean is art history st- students don't have a studio practice. Oh, so that's not that component. That's that's correct. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, an art history student might do a curatorial exhibition. Okay. Uh, would you give an example of what that might be? Uh, well, they 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 would take that on as part of their research. You know, to um, to to write within the um, to define within their whole program, as as I understand it. I mean, I'm not in art history, so I don't know exactly, but. Uh, the student might decide to put to mount or to organize an exhibition as part of the project that they're working on within the art history uh, program, and then that exhibition would be presented most likely in the third or fourth year of the program. Okay. And could I would think be considered to be part of the their um, um, requirements. Okay, I see. And, uh, you know, I, I like I like how there's different streams, and I, I can I can see how some people would come in with the expectation that they wanted to do a lot of, you know, hands-on work with the studio, and they would like that option. They say, hey, there's a studio option, and then others would say, you know, I'm I'm interested more in the theory, and I'm not gonna use the studio, so I I don't want to be in a program where they have that portion. So they do they do the art history part. Um, I think actually I don't remember what my mom did, but I'm pretty sure my mom's fine arts degrees in art history, something like Better that. Better hope she doesn't hear this or else she'll be <laughs> mad at you. Well, because she, she hasn't done it for a long time. She's been managing my parents' business that they work on together. For, so she's basically been in business as a manager for, you know, a de- sure, decade and a half sure. now. Hasn't really I been was doing just the joking. Art. I was just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, but I think we have a good relationship. <laughs> but what good. I wanted to ask was, you know, in that this program offers those different streams, was that, did that go into what made you decide to come to Western? How did you decide to come and do the program here? Um, the decision came down to the supervisor. Mm. Uh, I, I applied to um, Concordia and to Western. Okay. And the supervisor um, 
my supervisor is Christoph Magone, who's a sound artist. And and for me as a sound artist, having that compatibility and shared uh, area of focus is really rich and stimulating. Um, so so that was uh, you know very key, that was key for for my decision to come here. So I guess just while on the on the topic of why you chose to come to Western, I'm curious what benefit. I guess just why the PhD? I, I mean, you, you're clearly uh, an accomplished artist. You, you, you've been doing the exhibitions and, and for for several years. What benefit does the just just from a place of curiosity? What 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 drove you to go for the higher education portion of it? I'll say it's called community building. If I if I want to find a you know a, a, a simple phrase for it, okay, it's it's one thing to to be working in uh, in a studio doing artistic production. Um, and there's another to to be in a more intense environment, sort of in the belly of of um, of an of a situation in which there's more sound art being done by people who are closer to me. For the sure. la- for the last twenty years, I've been living in Saskatchewan, and there are an, you know a number of people who work in sound in Saskatchewan. Uh, the the main centers in Canada are Montreal and Toronto. Okay. Um, so so this. You know the proximity is is good for me at this point, sure. so that I can I can both get to either of those cities relatively easily and start to tap into some of the work that's going on there. I consider that part of community building. Absolutely. You know that that it's it's knowing who else is is working in a parallel way from yourself, um, so that you can you have a greater potential of of connecting with them. Uh, and it's not necessarily to do work together, but it's to be enriched and to enrich mm-hmm. by being part of the the community and part of the conversation. Yeah, I've I've heard a couple of different I guess sayings that go along with that. It's like you never want to be the smartest or the most advanced, progressive person in the room with whatever your I guess your goals are, because what 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 value is that to, to you, to the individual, to to learning or to your progression? So I think that's a really a good strategy. And then also. There's only so far, I guess, one person can take their ideas, but combining forces with someone who's equally as, or a group of individuals, a communal effort with people who are just as driven and just as interested in whatever, I guess, portion that you're looking at, I think that the potential just is exponentially greater there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, and I think I'll, I'll just go back to say, I mean, I think of it as part of a conversation. You know, and it's uh, sometimes it's or an exchange or a dialogue, but but it is it is being able to participate more actively. I mean, we can participate actively from a distance, you know. So it's not to try and romanticize anything or to to say that uh, that you know that that any city is the center of where one needs to be. Um, but there is a difference between able to being able to connect with people directly rather than doing it on social media or you know online or virtually or in, or in some other form. It's a bit more distant, even though it's a really good substitute. <laughs> well, uh, now in a world where we have so much technology and it's rapidly advancing every day, um, we have more access to to see uh, art that might be technology based. So. Do you find uh, like you just mentioned social media uh, as a as a as an artist, a sound artist? Um, is social media really help for you? Do you use social media much? Is this uh, how is that for the community of sound artists? Well, I I'm a bit of a um, 
I'm a bit soft on social media. Um, I, I see it more as, as a way of, of networking and of promoting work and also of having access to what has happened or what will happen as an archive. But at some level, I really prefer in person, you know, to be able to, to see the exhibition or the performance rather than to, to only have access to it on social media. So uh, we've come to the to the end of our show here. We don't have any more time, but we'd like to direct people uh, to some sort of online resource. If they want to find out more about your work, where can they go? They could go to my website, which is ellenmoffat.ca. ellenmoffat.ca. That's, that's a great website. <laughs> Glad Very you, Canadian. <laughs> yeah, yes, Canadian. You got it. Um, so, yeah, I would direct everyone to go to ellenmoffat.ca to hear more about Ellen's work. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, too. Uh, we're a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University, and we air on CHRW 94.9 every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Um, we do have social media. We've got Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube nowadays. Yeah, that's at GradCast Radio. You can find us there. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, come on the show. Email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Not to mention, we are available not only on the radio, but if you want to listen to us anywhere on the internet, uh, there's lots of places to go. Uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, like iTunes, Spotify, um, Google Play, and that's the show. Anyway, uh, I've been your host, Ariel Frame, here with Roger Hudson as my co-host, uh, and our producer was Gavin Tolometti. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a good one. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.